Well, there's a lot of traffic up here, isn't there? That's good. Thank you, worship team. Didn't they do a great job? You should appreciate your worship team. It's always good to have a, you know, one of these that I have to raise because usually it's too high because I'm short. So, you know, this is very, uh, this is very good. Uh, let's pray and then we're going to jump in. Father God, thank you for this day for you truly are holy, set apart, unique, incomparable, undescribable, glorious, wondrous, and we love you. And now as we open your love story to us, the very words of very God, would you superintend our time? I acknowledge what you already know, that your servant's not worthy nor capable. So would you anoint my lips and clarify my thinking? And may the Lord Jesus be lifted up, for he alone is worthy. Father, we love you this day. We want you to know that. We want you to hear that from our lips. We pray in the King's name who sits at your right hand and prays for us this day. Amen. And amen. Well, good morning, church. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. We continue our study in Acts as we see the gospel move forward in ever-increasing kind of concentric circles. And uh, last week, we, uh, and the week before, we talked about the gospel going out to the, the Gentiles, to Cornelius and his household. And uh, we're going to see the next sort of uh, step in that, or the next launch in that this morning as we get to the second half of chapter 11. And uh, so uh, my focus this morning is on the main character of this passage of Scripture, and his name is Barnabas. And my sermon title is, Let's Be a Barnabas. I think we all need to be a Barnabas in a world that is uh, uh, shockingly lacking in the area of encouragement. And so that's going to be our focus this morning. So hear the word of the Lord. We're going to begin at verse 19. Let me read a couple verses and then we'll, uh, we'll uh, start to unpack this. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. Our story this morning focuses on the city of Antioch. And uh, it's an interesting city, a very interesting city. If you were to look at a world map, you'll see that uh, now it is in southern Turkey. Turkey kind of goes along and then it drops. It has a little drop in the geography. And Antioch today, Antiochia, is in southern Turkey, just kind of right there in that little corner of Turkey. It's a uh, 
It's a very multicultural city in the time in which we're reading in the first century. Many Jews are there from the diaspora, the dispersion of the Jews after Stephen. They go all over the place to kind of find a new life. Many of them end up in Antioch, but there's also um, Arabs there, there's Greeks there, there's Romans. It's kind of multicultural, cosmopolitan city. And of course, there's Romans there as well. And uh, it was a business city because all of the trade from the east came through Antioch on the Orentes River and went out to the Mediterranean. So it was a business trade center. And so people were coming and going. Now, if you know anything about uh, the sociological makeup of cities, you will know in cities that are very transient, where people are coming and going, they tend to be very less. They tend to be morally bankrupt. And there's stuff going on that is obviously uh, not very good at all. In fact, in the city of Antioch, on the edge of the city of Antioch, there was a city park, a grove of trees and it was an outdoor brothel and people would basically go there to satisfy their desires uh, with uh, prostitutes and everything else in this city park when you drove into the city of antioch there was a billboard that says what happens in antioch stays in antioch you get it right so it's quite a city Quite a city. And so we're going on this evangelistic mission to Antioch, to a bridge much farther than Cornelius. Remember, Cornelius is described as a God-fearer. He's interested in the things of God. He prays. He's generous. He, he's got some sense of there's a God there. I, I don't really fully understand all of this. But when we get to Antioch, these people are pagan. They're just pagan. Far from God. Their life revolves around self and then we see what happens some men there verse 20 come from cyprus and cyrene and they come to antioch and they spoke to the hellenists now hellenists are people helene is the is of greek origin and the hellenists are people who are basically uh, greek in their orientation some of them are jews who have kind of given up some of their jewishness and they're now speaking greek and they've taken on some greek culture some of them would not be jewish but they're people who basically have oriented their life around greek language culture and philosophy and these evangelists go and they tell these folks who are pagan straight up about the lord jesus and then look what it says in the very next verse. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So these people far from God came and said, hey, I believe. This is the message I've been hoping for and looking for. Many people come to Christ out of this pagan society. So what do we say to that? Come on, church, what do we say? Amen. Praise the Lord. Remember, we talked about this last Sunday. Some of you were here last Sunday, weren't you? You're not all different, are you? <laughs> right? We say, hey, praise the Lord. God's at work. It's what's happening, uh, we hope, is what is incubating in your Alpha program, right? Where people are hearing about the message of Christ. And we pray that some will believe. They'll embrace the reality of Christ. And then verse 22, we read that the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. 
Now, that's quite interesting because uh, the report has gone back to head office. Hey, do you guys know that there's some people down there, way down there in Antioch, you know, the Las Vegas of the Mediterranean, and they're down there preaching to pagans, right? The spat upon and the sat upon, Paul Simon would call them. And maybe you better do something about that. So what do they do? Well, they say, we better send somebody down from head office. Because that's what you do, right? The denominational representative's going to come down. So they send down, interestingly, a guy named Barnabas. Now there's the critical mistake. They don't send an enforcer, they send an encourager. They send Barnabas. And he will have a significant influence on what happens. Now, let's get some background on Barnabas just to set the stage. Okay? What do we know about Barnabas? Here's the bonus question for you. What is Barnabas' real name? Anybody know? Anybody? Joseph! Joseph. You win a toaster. <laughs> it's Joseph. It's Joseph. But we have lost that to time. All of us know the name Barnabas, but we, we've lost the fact that his given name, when he was born, his mother said, oh, you're going to be Joseph. He's identified now for centuries, not by who he was named, but by how he lived. By how he lived. In fact, turn back, if you will, to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Let's just paint the picture here a little bit of who this guy is so that we can carry that forward. Verses 36 and 37. Just two verses on this guy. Thus Joseph, Acts 4, verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, and then this little parenthetical reference, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So what do we know about Barnabas? Well, Barnabas is a Levite. He's a high society Jew. He's a high society Jew. He could have avoided the common folk. You know, not rub shoulders with people like you and me. He's got this position, this birthright, this birth position. But we also know that he likely knew many Gentiles because he was from Cyprus and it had many Greeks, of course, in Cyprus and many other people of differing backgrounds. So even though he was high society, he likely interacted with people unlike himself. We also know that Barnabas was a man of generosity. He sold his property and he handed over the entire amount. And that immediately precedes the story, you might notice there, of Ananias and Sapphira, who also sold property, but they were a little less forthright with the proceeds. Now, sometimes you'll hear people say, it was God was at work there. The, uh, somebody was slayed in the spirit. The only people I see slayed in the spirit are Ananias and Sapphira, and I would hope that doesn't happen to me. Okay? But Barnabas was a man of generosity. Also, he was an encourager. Barnabas. Whenever you see in the uh, scriptures, in the New Testament, Bar in front of a name, Simon Bar-Jonah. Barnabas, the Bar means son. It's an Aramaic transliteration. Bar always means son. So when you see Simon Bar-Jonah, it's Simon Johnson. 
if he lived in Strathroy. <laughs> so, Simon, uh, so Barnabas, his name is Bar, son of Nabas. And again, another Aramaic word. And it's a very interesting word. There's three possible intertwining meanings for this word novice. Interestingly, one of them is son of prophecy or truth. That's interesting to me because if you're going to encourage people, there are times that the way you encourage people is you simply tell them the truth. Amen? It, it may be truth like, hold on, hold on, hold on a second. I want you to know God loves you. It might be a way of encouraging people to say, you know, if you keep doing that, you're going to get in a place that you worse shaped than you are now. You tell them the truth. When I was pastoring, I didn't do any counseling. That counselor. You know, counselors are supposed to be a bit like Bob Newhart, right? <laughs> My counseling is sort of like, yeah, there's a reason why your wife's mad at you because you're a jerk. You know, and that's not all that counsely, right? But, but sometimes we need to hear the truth, right? I mean, I've had people say the truth to me, and sometimes I didn't want to hear it, but it's what I needed to hear. And I go, you know what? I know you love me, and you're not trying to hurt me. You're trying to help me. Novice can mean son of prophecy, son of truth, somebody who will speak the mind and will of God. Novice also means, listen to this, son of rest. Because often the encouragement people need to do is just to stop and exhale. Amen? Sometimes you just got to say, just slow down. You're living a frenetic, unsustainable life. Just rest in the Lord. Just rest in the Lord. Come to me, all you who are, what, busy? No, weary and burdened and heavy laden. And then Jesus says this at the end. And you will find, does anybody know what it says? Rest for your souls. So beautiful. Rest for your souls. The third meaning, and this is quite interesting, is novice also means in some contexts to console. Right? Where you just come alongside and you say, I know you're hurting. And I just want to sit with you and be with you. I want to come alongside you and, and be your comfort and your presence. So that's who this guy is that we're going to look at here. Barnabas. Barnabas. Turn back to Acts chapter 11. Let's see how this is lived out now and, and how we can live out this Barnabas life as well. It's really quite simple. It's, it's, sometimes it's not easy, but it's actually quite simple. Let's pick up the story in chapter 11, verse 23. When he came, that's Barnabas. When he came, where did he come to? He came to this pagan city, Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad... And he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. I want to give you a few principles on living the Barnabas life. And, and, and I don't really don't like, you know, lists, Christian lists, you know. Let's get a list of things to do. So I'm going to encourage you. There may be one thing of these principles, one principle that you say, you know what? Yeah, that's an area in my life that if I ratchet that up, I will be, I will be more like Barnabas than I am right now. But the first thing we notice about him, and, and the first thing you will need to do if you want to live a Barnabas life is really quite simple. We see it right there in verse 23, is I rejoice in God's grace and good work. I rejoice in God's grace and good work. When people see that in you, that just by nature is encouraging. 
See, it says when he came, he saw the grace of God and he was glad. He said, wow, God's at work here. This is amazing. This is wonderful. Well, what I like immediately about this is that Barnabas comes and sees for himself what God is doing. You know, one of the dangers we have in churches, we trade in secondhand knowledge. Do you know that Beatrice said that this happened? I heard that they did this. Did you know that some people said this? I, I, I just want to let you in on a secret, spoiler alert. Just because somebody said it doesn't make it true. Right? So Barnabas, he's going to go and see for himself. He's not, he's not going to track traffic in secondhand truth. He was glad. He said, well, God's at work in the most pagan city around. In this licentious debauchery, the Spirit of God is at work. And he rejoices in that. It's those flashes of kingdom light that we saw last Sunday. Amen? We talked about when the kingdom of God flashes. You go, wow, God's at work. God's at work. Keep looking for those flashes of kingdom light. My dad used to always say this. You know what? Whatever you're looking for, you almost always find it. It's interesting. Live in awe and wonder at the work of God because others are watching you and they will see what you see. Now, let me just say this. Parents and grandparents, not if you're a parent or a grandparent here this morning. Okay, many of you. Rejoice and remember the work of God in your homes, in your families, around the dinner table. That is so important to the next generation, and it is so anchoring of a life of faith for their future. The verse is Psalm 78.4. Write it down. Psalm 78.4. We will not hide from their children. We're not going to just sort of cover this over, right? But tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. We're going to tell them. And, 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 and his might and the wonders that he has done. You've got to continually tell your family, tell your kids of the work and wonder of the Lord and what God has done. Keep that red hot in your family life. If you don't think you're going to remember it, which you won't, write it down. Write it down. When my wife Cheryl and I went into ministry, we, uh, I was in business. I sold my business. My wife had a very successful uh, career, and we went into uh, ministry, and we packed up our family, and we moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And we get to Atlanta, Georgia, and we were living the high life because I was making $32,500 a year. Now, I was also paying $600 a month in health insurance. So there wasn't a lot left over, but that was okay. But it was a shock because we had went from a six-figure income to $32,500. And I look back on that and I say, how in the world did that work? You know what? God worked it out somehow. But we had an old minivan. We had an old minivan. And it was getting pretty threadbare. And one day my wife calls me and she says, uh, the minivan's on the school parking lot and it won't go. And I said, it won't go. She goes, no, it won't go. And so I've just walked home in the rain. You deal with it. <laughs> so that evening, we go over to the school parking lot. 
and we see our minivan and and I actually know a little bit about turning wrenches and I realize that it is the starter motor has packed it in on the minivan so we crawl underneath there in the rain and we take the starter motor off but to take the starter motor off on this van you had to take the oil filter off which proceeded to dump oil all over me plus it's raining and uh and I'm singing what a friend we have in Jesus and uh and and we get the starter motor out. We go over to, you know, Auto Zone or someplace. We get a starter motor. We come back. And my son, Spencer, who was probably, I guess, maybe uh, seven at the time, seven or eight, he says, Dad, we need to buy a new minivan. <laughs> and I said, you're absolutely right. We have several thousand reasons why we're not going to. <laughs> and we're just going to tough it out with this one. And uh, he said, oh, okay. So we got the starter motor in, we got home, and I've got grease and oil all over my arms, and I'm standing at my kitchen sink, and our phone rings, and I pick up the phone, and or my wife, one of us got the phone, and it was for me, and this man says, hi, Steve. And I said, yeah. He says, it's so-and-so. And I said, well, hello, so-and-so. How are you? Good, good. He said, uh, he said I, I, I'm, I'm calling you, and I need to apologize. I said, oh, he said, because I was supposed to call you a week ago. I said, oh, okay. And he said, and, and, and I should have called you a week ago, but I didn't call you a week ago. My wife said, call, call them, and I never did. And finally she got on me. She said, You're, you need to call them. I, I said, oh, okay. And, and I said, oh, so what's up? And he said, well, this is just totally out of the blue. It's kind of weird. But, uh, and, and this guy and his wife, they had money. And he said, my wife and I were praying, and we just both thought, we're to buy you a new minivan. <laughs> My son has never forgotten that. And we remind him of that often. I said, that's really interesting because I just got home from dealing with my minivan on the school parking lot. I said, I'm standing here at the kitchen sink washing the grease and oil off my hands. See, God already had that looked after before it broke down because he's so great and so glorious. And you parents and grandparents remind the kids what God has done. They want to hear that and see that and know that, that God has been at work in your family over a period of time, and in some cases, decades. Decades. Number two, if you want to live a Barnabas life, this is fairly self-evident, I encourage others often. I encourage others often. Look what it said there. Barnabas comes, he sees what God is doing, he's glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He said, keep at it. What you're doing is great. Hang in there. He's still doing what he's always done, Barnabas. Still encouraging people, cheering people on, putting wind in their sail. Words can be winsome, can't they? They can be so good, but words can also be weapons. I'll bet there's some of you here this morning and you can remember something that was said to you years, maybe decades ago, that wounded you. And you cannot find a way for that to be unheard in your life. Right? Sometimes words can be weapons. And this is why it's so important that we encourage others often Karen Carpenter, does anybody remember that name? 
you got to be old like me. Karen Carpenter is consistently noted, according to Rolling Stone magazine, to have had one of the very best singing voices in all of recorded music. Now, you may not like sort of their candy-coated music, but she had a distinctive three-octave contralto range and perfect pitch. Paul McCartney said she had the best female voice in the world. Her and her brother Richard sold more than 100 million records worldwide, making them one of the best-selling musical artists of all time. So imagine this world's shock when at age 32 in 1983, she died of heart failure due to the complications of anorexia. This eating disorder she had struggled with for years. Her brother Richard was asked, how could your sister be so captivated by that and so controlled by that and unable to get free from that when you're some of the most successful people on earth in the entertainment industry? Richard said this. He said, I I don't know completely what all this is. She struggled with it for decades, but he said this. I remember early on, When she began struggling with this issue, we did a concert. The next day, we saw the local newspaper. And in the newspaper, the article called us Richard Carpenter and his chubby sister, Karen. And he said that was devastating. And she never forgot that. See, words can be winsome, but words can wound. And the world is wired to wound and ruin. And we are people who know deeply that we're made in the image of God. That image is marred, no question. But we need to remind people that they are made in the image of God and encourage them over and over and over again. Let me just say this. My experience has been that when we get to 50 or 60 or 70 or 80, I've noticed that people generally, not always, but generally become a caricature of who they were at 30 or 40. You know what a caricature is, eh? It's a a picture, an image of you that's exaggerated, almost can be a little bit grotesque. If you are cynical and critical at 30 or 40, that's likely going to get worse. So I exhort you, have a course correction. Draw a line in the sand and say, I'm going to be more of a Barnabas. Do people walk away from you better than when you walk towards them? Are they lifted a little? Are they encouraged a little? Number three, living the Barnabas life means this. I am filled and led by the Spirit of God. Verse 24, he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit. You know, what does that mean, full of the Spirit? Well, we know in Galatians 5, it tells us very clearly, Paul writes, what the fruit of the Spirit are. If if you're a Spirit-filled, Spirit-controlled person, then you're a person that's full of love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's a Barnabas kind of person, isn't it? You get around those people. 
that are filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control and gentleness. And they encourage you. Chuck Swindoll has been one of the most godly and influential leaders of the last 50 years, and he hasn't messed up. He credits his Barnabas for that. When he was a young man, a pastor came alongside him and walked with him. He wrote this about one of the very last meetings that he had with his Barnabas before he died. He wrote this about that experience. The man's name was Ray Stedman. He was a pastor in California. He actually wrote a very excellent little book on the book of Acts called Body Life. It's probably one of the best books on the topic. But he writes this about Ray Stedman, Chuck Swindoll writing, He was thoroughly human and absolutely authentic. He had emerged a well-worn vessel of honor fit for the master's use. And I found myself profoundly grateful that Ray Stedman's shadow had crossed my life. In a day of tarnished leaders, fallen heroes, busy parents, frantic coaches, arrogant authority, authority figures, and egg-headed geniuses, we need mentors like never before. We need guides and not gods, approachable, caring souls who will help us negotiate our way through life's labyrinth. How about you? Are you filled by the Spirit of God? Is it evident by the fact that you're a person of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control? Number four, not only are you filled with the Spirit, but you are a person who is held firmly by your faith. Verse 24, it says, Paul is full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. What is faith? Simply this, folks. As simple as it can be. This is the best definition you'll get for faith. Faith is simply taking God at his word. Somebody asks you, what, what is faith? What is faith? I take God at his word. I take him at his word. I believe what he said is true. It's going to come to pass. I take God at his word. When, when Jesus says, I, I will never leave you for, nor forsake you, I have faith. I take him at his word. He's going to be with me through the thick and the thin and the, you know, the mountaintops and the valleys. We need people amongst us who hold firmly to the promises of God, especially as opposition rises. We see this faith demonstrated way back in Acts chapter 4 for Barnabas. You know how we know that? Because he sold a field that belonged to him and, and he brought that money and he laid it at the disciples' feet for the work of the Lord. You know, let's remind ourselves of the context when he does that, okay? In, in those ancient days, assets were held in both cash, right, coinage, I've got some shekels in the mattress, or in tactile items, usually real estate. There was no RRSPs. There was no mutual funds. There's no stock certificates. You know, you know Barnabas, he, he, he didn't put on and withdraw from the you know, Canadian Imperial Bank of Jerusalem. It, it was either cash or it was invested in tactile things. So when Barnabas hands over the money to those disciples, he's demonstrating his faith in that he can trust the Lord to replace it. See, lots of times people say to me, oh, they have the gift of giving. 
And I say, no, actually, it's not the gift of giving. It's actually the gift of faith because I know that person and I know that that gift they gave is a gift of faith because they need God to replace it. They gave out of need, not out of their excess. Because it's one thing to give out of your excess, right? Well, we're going to pull a little bit of money out of the investments, sell off a few stocks. It's another thing to say, you know, I'm going to give to the Lord And that's what we read about the church in Corinth. They gave as much as they were able, and you know what it says? And even beyond. They trusted God to replace that. That's what Barnabas, I think, was doing. Number five. Number five. I am a person who invests in people. If you want to be a person living the Barnabas life, you've got to invest in people. Look at verses 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. So here's what's happening. Barnabas goes down to Antioch. God's at work there. People are coming to Christ. Uh, People are are turning away from their pagan ways. And Barnabas says, wow, this is amazing. We got to do something about this. So Barnabas could stay there as the head office representative. He's kind of a big shot there. But what does he do? Look at verse 25. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians, Christ ones. Now, now stay with me here. Barnabas is there and he says, man, these people are coming to Jesus. They need to be what? Brand new Christians. They need to be, come on, disciple. Because we're told not to make decisions. We're told to make what? Disciples, people that actually follow the Lord Jesus in thought and, and, and word and the way they live their life and the way they, all of that, right? And so he says, man, these guys, they, they need to grow. And I know the guy that can do it. You people keep doing what you're doing. I'm going to look for a guy. I know a guy. So what does Barnabas do? He takes off and he goes up to Tarsus to look for Paul, which is interesting Because Barnabas met Paul, not in Tarsus, which is Paul's hometown. He met him in Jerusalem. But Paul had headed back to his hometown. Now, this is a hundred-mile hike from Antioch up to Tarsus. Now, why was Paul in Tarsus? Turn quickly, quickly. We don't have a lot of time. Turn quickly over to chapter 9. I want you to turn back to chapter 9. I want you to notice something here. This is just so interesting to me. This Barnabas, I think he's so low-key and flies under the radar. This is Paul's conversion experience here in Acts chapter 9. I think you probably know that, the conversion of Saul and the Damascus Road experience and all of that. So just quickly, look down to verse 5. But the Lord said to him, this is God speaking about Paul. Okay, who's this persecutor of the church, sort of anti-Christian message. But now God's gripped him, and the Lord said to him, to Paul, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. That's what Paul's going to do. And kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That's, that's the commission given you're going to go and take your name the name of jesus to the gentiles you're going to speak to kings now go down to acts chapter 9 uh, verse 26 so paul's got this commissioning go get him paul verse 26 and when he came to jerusalem he attempted to join the disciples and they were afraid of him for they did not believe that he was the disciple this is that guy paul man this guy's trouble don't believe a word he says he's not the real deal he's hoodwinking us 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas says, hey, hey, guys, you got this wrong. This guy is the real deal, man. God has his hand on him. This guy is going to be used for kingdom good. And, 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 and I, this is Paul. He's, he's a different man. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem. This is Paul preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed amongst the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Now look at verse 30. This is so interesting. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Thanks a lot, Paul. We know you got a lot to say, but people aren't really resonating with what you're saying. In fact, the truth of the matter is, Paul, they want to kill you. So why don't you go back to Tarsus, go see your mom and dad, find out how they're doing. So Paul, who's given this commissioning to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to speak before kings, ends up back in Tarsus, right? Back in Tarsus. He, he left, went to the big city. He, God gripped him. He, he had this mission. He had this mindset, but he's back in Tarsus. What happened, Paul? Paul's at home. I wonder if he's a bit defeated and a bit discouraged and he's sitting there in his living room and saying, well, Lord, I, uh, I remember you said I was going to go to Gentiles and I'd actually get an audience with kings and here I'm sitting in my living room in Tarsus. And then there's a knock on the door. Hi, Paul. Barnabas, what are you doing here? Hey, Paul. I got a job for you. You remember what the Lord said about you? It's coming to, it's coming to pass. Pack a bag quick. We're heading to Antioch. They need you there, Paul. Uh, we're going to go down there and we're going to tell these, these men and women who have turned away from paganism and debauchery and we're going to tell them about how to live the Jesus life. We're going to cheer them on. Paul says, really? Yeah, yeah, man, come on, let's do it. We're going to go do it together. Look at verse 26. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And the change was so radical, it was the first place that people said, those people belong to Jesus. Wow. Imagine living a life. My time's gone. If they open the trap door, I end up in Kamoka. I just like saying Kamoka. I think it's a fun thing. I say to people, people say, where are you preaching now? I say, Strathroy. Strathroy? Yeah. Where's that? I say, it's by Kamoka. Where's Kamoka? Just past Lobo. And they go, okay. Doesn't help. Here's the takeaway, folks. We'll be done. Takeaway, we'll be done. Little, little equation. If you like math equations, here it is. B equal E times three. I got a little assignment for you. Bethel, here's a little assignment for you. If you want to be a Barnabas, that's the B. How do you do that? It equals encouraging every day. That's the E. Three people. That's the three. What if you started tomorrow 
and said, you know what, when I go to work, when I go to school, when I leave the house, whether it's a neighbor or somebody, I just want to be an encourager. Hey, Tom, man, you're, you always have the drive. You always have your driveway shovel first. It always looks great. You keep your place so well. Hey, 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 Cassie, how's things going at high school? How's your year going? You doing okay? I mean, how can I pray? You're having trouble in, in math. You're having trouble in physics. I'll pray for that. You're, you're going you're gonna to get through it. I know it. You're, you're not a quitter. God's going to help you. B, if you want to be a Barnabas, encourage three people every day. Can we do that? Isn't that an easy thing to do? Tell you a quick story and I'm done. About ago, when I was pastoring, uh, it was this time of year because it was right at Super Bowl. And I was a bit discouraged. My tank was a bit empty. You ever had where you just feel like your tank's a bit empty? It was like end of January, early February, and I was kind of dragging a bit. And, uh, and, you know, I was pastoring, and we had a big church, a big staff, and I was just, I was just dragging. I was just dragging. And uh, so Super Bowl weekend, we just had it last weekend. Super Bowl weekend comes along, and uh, I get asked to speak to a group of four- and five-year-old kids at our Sunday night kids program. Okay, and I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I can do that. But it's Sunday night at Super Bowl, which is okay because it's, you know, early. And... But the truth of the matter is I, I'm not invited to a Super Bowl party. You're supposed to go, oh, oh. yeah, there you go. <laughs> not too much. Now, the truth of the matter is I don't really like football that much, but I really like chicken wings. So I was, <laughs> I was hoping that, that I, you know, and Sunday morning, you know, I'm up, I'm preaching, you know, two services are packed and everything. And afterwards, I'm talking to all these people and everybody's talking, hey, see you at the party. And I'm like, I'm not invited to a Super Bowl. And I was already, my tank was a bit empty, you know, and I was a bit, feeling a bit sorry for myself. You know, just like, you know, a bit of pity party. And Sunday night, I got to go speak to these kids, these four and five-year-old kids. So I go up Sunday night to our kids' wing and... I go into this little room, and of course, all these kids are flipping around and doing, you know, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm like, oh, my goodness. In that room was a kid named Mason, four-year-old guy. He was a foster kid to a family in our church. I knew a bit about Mason's journey of no doing of his own. This four-year-old kid life had been horrible for him. Horrible. Four years old, little Mason. And while I'm teaching, he's flipping around. So I do my little thing, you know, my little teaching thing. I'm sitting on the floor with the kids, you know, I don't know, 20, 20 kids or something. That's the end of it. Nobody heard anything or whatever. I get up, I walk up, I walk down the hallway, and then I hear this ruckus behind me. And I, and I sort of tune in my hearing, and they're yelling, Mason, Mason. Turns out Mason got loose. And I, and I turn around, and I look down the hall, and here's Mason in the hall. And I turn around, it's just me and him. About as far down the hall, maybe as Judy is there sitting there. And he looks and he says, hey, Pastor Steve! I said, yes. I love you. I love you. And I say... I love you too. <laughs> Lord, 
you know, the Lord can bring encouragement from wherever he wants. Amen? And he'll, he'll, he'll use you to be a vehicle for that. And, and somebody this week in your circle of influence, and men, don't be afraid if it's another guy, <laughs> needs to hear, hey, I want you to know something. I love you. And God loves you. Amen? We can do that. It's so easy. It's so easy. Father God, we love you. May we be a Barnabas. Father, I wonder about little Mason today. I have no idea where he is, how he's doing, but I know that your hand was upon him because that little guy encouraged me. Father, we can do this. We must do this. We, we, we want to we be people who are identified not by our name, but how we lived like Barnabas. May we feel joy and overflow in putting wind in the sail of others and blessing them in the name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen and amen.